Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, welcome everyone to our episode today. We are uh, excited that you're with us, excited for this new year. And I am especially excited today because our daughter Cassidy is our guest. Cassidy is our sixth child. And for her whole life, what Cassidy has been known for is walking into a room with the biggest smile and making everyone feel great about themselves. Right, Cass? Thank you. And she has an incredible gift that wherever she is, people find her and they start telling her their entire life story, (laughs) right? We've had this happen multiple times on family outings where Cassie's in the line to ride the roller coaster at the amusement park, right? And then the lady next to you decides to tell her your entire life story. And and, uh, you, you have had the probably the stamp of therapist on your forehead uh, <laughs> since you were like 14, right? It's true. It's it's honestly a running joke with anyone I know. <laughs> like, why did that person just tell you that? Why did they just tell you their whole life story? And they do. So, so Cassie is a marriage and family therapist, and I'm really proud of her because she's following in, in my footsteps to, to some degree, but I'm sure she'll do a lot better than, than I've done in that area. But Cassie, tell us just whatever you want, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background in marriage and family. Yeah. So a little bit about me. My husband and I live in Dallas, Texas, and I work as a marriage and family therapist there. I see all my clients on Zoom, though, because I'm a stay-at-home mom. Right. I have a little daughter named Macy. She's the best thing ever. She um, takes after you. She walks into the room and just lights it up, right? She is a lot in that way. Um, but I started doing practicing marriage and family therapy just a few years ago. So I'm still pretty new in the profession, but I've been working in private practice for a few years. And I specialize in working with couples. And then I work a lot with individual clients working on negative core beliefs, working on anxiety, working on coping skills, lots of different things. Yeah. Before our episode, before we started recording, you know, one of the things you told me is that one of the common areas that you see in your work is issues with boundaries. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so maybe I can set this up just a little bit by confessing to you. (laughs) that your mom and I are probably horrible at boundary setting. It's one of the, it's one of our goals for 2024 that we're going to try to be a little bit better at setting boundaries. But I, I'll just give you a couple of of examples that I think are maybe more on the humorous side, but it's where I started forming some ideas about this for the first time. And if you have anything to add, just, just throw it in there. But sometimes I would come home from work. We lived in Mesa, Arizona. That's where you were born. And there'd be like 15 kids at our house or 10. And we had five children of our own. And I'd walk in and go, honey, what's happening? And she's like, oh, I'm babysitting for this person, this person, and this person (laughs) so that they could all go shopping or go do whatever they wanted to do. And I thought, really? So you're going to ask the mother in the ward, right, with the most children under, you know, under the age of five to be babysitting your kids while you go and, and do your thing. But 
the idea of ever saying no to someone was just so foreign to us, right? We just yeah. didn't know. I mean, I think I literally remember times in our life where we were going somewhere and then someone asked us to do something for them. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess we're I guess we're not going to the temple tonight. Or I yeah. guess we're not going on our anniversary date because we're going to be watching someone's kids. Yeah. I think my favorite one is when a lady in the ward called, I'm going to say mom, so Janie, your mom, <laughs> but calls mom and... Uh, and uh, says, hey, I've got errands to run today. Is there any way you could watch my kids? And, of course, mom had tons of errands to run that day herself. Yeah. So, of course, she says yes because we're trying to be nice, right? And I probably would have said the same thing. And then I wish there was a way to show a movie clip of this, right, where you, you, could you clap just, your like, hands visualize it. and go to the next scene. And the next scene is mom in the grocery store with two grocery carts full of kids from another family in her own trying to, trying to get some you know, get some groceries. And then the other lady comes by in the aisle all by herself, practically skipping with her empty grocery cart. And she's like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we're just here shopping. Oh, gosh, I didn't know you were going to be shopping today. Oh, well. And then, you know, I mean, no, no offer to hang. Not real, real. She didn't take her kids back. <laughs> yeah, no offer to take her kids back or anything. But probably wow. hundreds of examples. And I guess, in Cass, I know we'll get into this, but I guess that's my issue is... We've been taught our whole lives. We want to be kind. We want to be Christ-like. We want to serve other people. And so totally. this idea of setting a boundary feels like it, it, it's, it's counter, right? It's counterintuitive yeah. to tell someone no. Yeah, I would say that that is the pushback that I receive most often when I bring up boundaries with clients and the people that I work with. And by the way, I'm not perfect at this either. I think it's something that all of us will have to figure out throughout our life. But I definitely think the most pushback I get is people thinking that saying no or even just the term boundaries inherently requires someone to be mean. Yeah. Or to say. Or be rude. Yeah, right. Like someone who doesn't. Uh, look out for other people, someone who's selfish. There's a lot of negative associations with boundaries. Yeah. Let me throw in something in, in a church-related setting. Yeah. You know, I, I know that, once again, Janie, mom, in this case, must have had nursery leaders stamped on her forehead because <laughs> I think for the first 10 oh, years man. of our life, any ward that we lived in, and I say that, we didn't move around a lot, but we lived in an area where the where the wards were dividing, you know, every so often. Yeah. But she was always a nursery leader. And I thought, once again, really, you're going to take the woman with six kids under the age of seven. And then on every... Who already doesn't hear anything <laughs> at church. <laughs> right. Who doesn't have to get to hear anything in sacrament meeting. And once again, Janie loves it, right? Your mom loves that. She loves children and, she's, and she was great at it. Maybe one of the best nursery leaders, but as a dad now with my 60-year-old mind, I wish I, I would have had the, the guts to go into the bishop and say something like, hey, unless you've had a revelation on this from heaven and you're not just plugging holes, I would love it if my wife could have a different experience on Sunday. She's with young children all week long, and then on Sunday, and that's back in a three-hour block, right? For two mm-hmm. hours, she's, she's got 25 kids in the nursery. And, uh, and so when I say that in a church way, here's, I love when I hear stories of people who say no. And one of my That's favorite cool. examples of that is when Elder Oaks is called to be an apostle. And they call him on a Friday evening over the phone. He's in Tucson, Arizona. And President Hinckley tells him that we need you here tomorrow, the next day for general conference. And Elder Oaks said no. 
Hmm. And I love that. You know, and, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but Elder Oaks explained that I'm in charge of a, of a major court case down here. Like I have something going on. Yeah, and I can't just leave it. And so I could be there Sunday. And if anyone wants to look in the records of the April of 1984 General Conference, President Nelson and President Oaks are sustained on Sunday instead of Saturday afternoon because Elder Oaks said, I can't do that. Yeah. I just, he knew it, he knew what his limitation was. Anyway. That's cool. I think I think more stories need to be shared <laughs> like that because I do think they're, I don't know if it's like a Christianity thing or specific to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I do feel like there's this tradition maybe or just expectation to say yes to things or to show up for you know be we're taught all our life be where you're supposed to be like visit your neighbor love people the way that god loves you take every calling and and i think the principles behind that are right i i would never want to encourage someone to just again go be like a selfish person who never wants to help or never serve in the church but when it completely makes you like lacking and empty and not capable and start to be resentful it, it makes me think that more boundaries need to be in place right for people and i want to make sure cassie as you've said that i want to make sure that that's coming across to our listeners the right way we in the ogletree family are going to accept every calling you know that the lord gives us no question about it yeah i was but, raised that way but i wish you know we could give input sometimes you know i remember another time i was in my doctoral program and I was working full time, and I also worked part time at LDS Family Services two nights a week. And they called mom, Janie, mm-hmm. called your mom to be in the Young Women's Program, which was great, but our oldest kid was like 10. Yeah. And so that meant every Wednesday night while I was at work, mom was at Young Women's. And after a month or two of that, and having our 10 year old daughter watching, you know, five or six kids by herself, uh, mom had to go into the bishop and say, hey, you know what? I just don't. I would never want to turn down a calling, but I just don't know if this is the right time and season. Yeah. And and the cool thing about that is later in Janie's life, my wife, your mom, I mean, she ended up serving in the Young Women's Program for probably 15 years. I mean, Yeah, my whole life. Yeah, your whole life. And she was the camp director and the Young Women's President and and did a wonderful job. But but sometimes our leaders, and I know we've kind of gone off on a little tangent with church stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But I know that sometimes our leaders just need information that they may not have. Totally. You know? I, I actually have a really close friend, friend right now who's pregnant and has some immune problem, like immune system problems and has been asked to serve in nursery. And she has not been able to fight sickness for right. like two months since right. she started serving. Right. And I told, I was like, that's okay to share <laughs> that, right? That right. being around little sick kids all the time, that you're susceptible to sickness. That's maybe good information. But right, all of this to say, I think it's important to just even define what boundaries are. Because again, we kind of talked about how there is this stigma around boundaries being negative and being you know sticking up for yourself or things like that where um if we look at the research it's cool Brene Brown is I think one of the leading researchers on boundaries and she claims that through her research she's found that the most compassionate people 
she's ever studied are the people who are the most boundaried. Mm. And she said that was a huge shock to her. Like she expected the correlation to maybe be the most compassionate people are the most spiritually practicing people or the most family oriented or, or the right? most boundaryless people that would just yeah. go wherever they're called. Yeah, boundaryless people. And do. that that was a huge shock for her in the data that compassionate people are boundaried people. And I think like just that alone can reframe for us what boundaries are that boundaries are not there to prevent people from our life but they're there to let us love with true integrity and generosity to people because we're not loving people empty we're loving people with boundaries in place where we've been able to show up for ourselves so now we can give everything we have to other people yeah and i think that's that's an incredible incredible insight you know, Cassie, one of uh, an interesting expression that I've heard my whole life is that good fences make good neighbors. And it's actually been kind of funny to live in different parts of the country. Um, I know that in some cases we've bought a new house. And one of the first things you do is you build a fence. You know, you build a <laughs> fence in, in your backyard or whatever. But then I've been to some other parts of the country, i.e. like the Midwest. Mm-hmm. There are no fences. It's kind of interesting. And just yesterday, as I walked out into my backyard and saw the biggest clump of dog poop I've ever seen. And we don't have a dog. <laughs> and, a, and, and maybe one of the reasons we don't fair. is for that reason. But but just so anyone knows, we've actually taken parts of our fence down. We don't have a fence in some parts of our yard for different reasons. But there's a great reason right there, right? There's a great reason to have a fence is because, hey, we don't want our grandkids maybe stepping in that stuff or whatever. But... So the phrase, good fences makes good neighbors, it's actually a proverb that suggests that clear boundaries and respectful distance between neighbors can actually lead to better relationships. And, and I think, you know, you, you build the whole boundary thing on that. One of the examples I read in studying that expression, good fences make good neighbors, is that in the old days, farmers, you know, they had to have fences up. Otherwise, their cows would wander into the neighbor's pasture and start eating their grass or whatever and so Mm. uh, the idea was we better have a a fence and then you have you have good neighbors I don't know if you have any any thoughts on that no I I think that's totally true I think any one of us could think of an example in our life where someone just overstayed their welcome right or I don't know some sort of experience with boundaries uh, or the lack thereof that just made people start feeling really resentful, right? When you look outside and see a pile of dog poop, I think the immediate thought <laughs> is, who is this? Like, what neighbor didn't, right? It doesn't give us warm, happy, generous, compassionate thoughts towards other people. Yeah, and once again, I'm, I, I really, I, I don't want any neighbors to feel bad. I just no, whose dog is it? No, I'm just kidding. yeah, yeah. We we have no idea whose dog that is, you know. But I. You know, I remember uh, Cassie once years ago, we had a, a college friend come and stay with us and they brought several of their children and they stayed for a few extra days. You know, we thought they were staying overnight, but they ended up staying for like a week, but they didn't ever clean up after themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so when they left, there were actually like Cheetos ground in the carpet <sighs> and, and, and beds that, had you know, anyway, I mean, there's, there was just all kinds of damage. And uh, I thought, you know what, maybe maybe we, next time they come and stay with us, maybe we could do better at saying, hey, maybe let's keep the food in the kitchen. Or, But once again, what do I struggle with? I struggle that if I say that, I'm a bad guy. Yeah. Right? Well, I think 
I really think that's important to recognize, right? Like, I don't think we're suggesting that boundaries are easy. I just hope that we can maybe reframe it in a way that's more, like, enticing for people to set boundaries because that's absolutely right. Uh, After hearing your story, right, a boundary could be that those people don't stay at your house or that your house isn't a hotel. That's okay to say, right? No one expects that for your house to be a (laughs) hotel. But But once again, when you grow up with the under the umbrella of hospitality and we're going to welcome anyone in and and then you spend two days after they leave cleaning up and you are like resentful and you're yeah. under your breath angry and you're like, oh my gosh, I have so many other things to do than wiping finger, you know, wiping <laughs> magic markers off my walls or whatever. Totally. So let me give you an acronym yeah. that again, to quote Brene Brown, she uses the acronym BIG, B-I-G. Mm. She says, what boundaries do I need to hold? What boundaries need to be in place for me to live in my integrity So if I value hospitality, if I value helping people, right, that's that would be living in your integrity. So B.I. boundaries, integrity, and then G to show up generous Mm. and compassionate for the people in my life. What boundaries do I need to hold to have to stay within my integrity and show up generous for other people? Cassie, I'm so glad that you said it that way, because. One of the things I think of is that there are so many times in my life where I've been so depleted, you know, of, mm-hmm. of energy, strength, emotion, you know, passion, whatever you want to say. And then it's almost like I've been drowning in a river because I have so many <laughs> responsibilities and duties and someone throws me a, a mm-hmm. 500 pound, what, yeah. <laughs> whatever to, to try to hold. Yeah. And I love what you're saying because it's true. When I get the sleep that I need, when I'm able to have my life organized the way that I want to. And, and be on top of my life, I feel like I can be more, as you said, you know, generous and loving and compassionate yeah. to others. But when you're running on fumes all the time, yeah, you just can't do it. Totally. I think it's that same analogy we, we all hear, right? That you have to put on your mask before you can put a mask on someone else. It's the, you have to fill your lamp with oil before you can, right? Like, I think that those adages are purposeful in helping us understand boundaries if if we can think in that way Mm. that we still want to show up and help people we want to show up and love people we want to put masks on. we want to be generous we want i love that we want to be compassionate yeah but we need to take care of ourselves and be compassionate in ways that are okay and self-compassion right i mean i've heard you talk about that yeah i think elder holland has helped me understand that more. He is quoted for making a list of boundaries. What is this back in the 90s, maybe? Mm. Uh, where he said that maybe a way we could think about the priorities in our life is to first consider our personal, physical, and spiritual selves. And then he goes on to list our spouses, our children, our callings, our career, our civic responsibilities. But but I the prime responsibility, he said, is to your physical, physical and, and spiritual, spiritual self. self. Okay. And I don't know, something that really stood out to me because I don't know if that's a message that I have received before. Mm-hmm. And hearing someone like Elder Holland, who I, I really respect and value, say that has helped me feel like that's okay, right? That, yeah, I need to be able to have my spiritual cup filled. I need to be taking care of myself physically. And then I can spend the rest of the day 
mm-hmm. serving and being compassionate to my husband, to my daughter, to the people in my life, to the people in my life who I love and who I feel I am capable of showing up for. Yeah. And Cassie, you know, once again, we, we want to make sure no one misinterprets the message here that, you know, we're not saying, once again, turn down church callings, uh, don't help people, mm-hmm. don't, you know, we want, what we're actually saying, I think, is let's put ourselves in a position so that we can give our all to those causes, whatever they are. But in order to do that, you're going to have to do some self-care, uh, some self-compassion, and we're going to have to we're going to have to set some boundaries and we're going to have to manage our life in a way that we can give fully and freely yeah, right but yeah. you can't do that when you're running on fumes you know absolutely i i think that we we are not generous and we are not kind to people who are walking all over us right yeah. or to people who take advantage of us that oh i'm being so kind that's not a kind thing to do Right. And it's not generous if we are mad, if we feel taken advantage of. If you're resentful. If we're resentful. Exactly. And I think rather than thinking boundaries just take us out of situations like that, I think we can, again, think what needs to be in place for me to actually be compassionate towards these people or serve them in a way that feels right and congruent with what I have to offer rather than just giving endlessly with resources, whether it's emotional or mental, physical, financial that we don't have. Right. Cass, when you said that, it reminded me, and I, and I really, I feel bad that every example I'm thinking is like a church example, but it's almost easier to talk about church than family uh, sometimes. But I was thinking of an occasion, it was, we had a, a, a scout camp, high adventure, and then a girls camp back to back, you know, one week, two week. And at the end, you know, we had driven the, uh, we called it the scout trailer home uh, from girls camp or from scout. I don't remember if it was which one, it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that mom, Janie, mm-hmm. and I spent an entire, that entire Saturday afternoon up at the church cleaning out the scout trailer. Now, I was the bishop of the ward at the time, and there were plenty of men advisors and women advisors called that could have and probably should have been doing that, and not and not the bishop, you know. <laughs> uh, but as we were up there cleaning out everything and, and organizing and washing things out and doing dishes that had been, you know, food stuck to plates for a week or whatever... Oh, I remember, I remember feeling that resentment. I remember feeling like, really, like the busiest guy in the ward is up here cleaning the scout trailer, and there's people, mm. you know, having a lot of fun today. And I, and I feel bad about that. I mean, I look back on it now, and I think, why couldn't I have just enjoyed that? Why couldn't I have just enjoyed the opportunity to serve and help other people, and and clean up after a few people? Well, probably because I had been doing that for two weeks yeah. at those camps, and I was just exhausted. You know, yeah. I was just exhausted, and so. I love what you're saying about, okay, had I taken care of myself better? Or even, right, or even I think sometimes when people say, oh, you're too nice. I Hmm. often wonder if people are saying, wow, you're not boundary, (laughs) right? It could have been that maybe instead of taking on the responsibility between you two that day and working all night and sacrificing your personal showering and connecting as a couple and seeing your family again, right? It could have been, hey, for Wednesday night activity this week, the kids are going to clean out the trailer. Exactly. I mean, as you talked, you know, that's what I was thinking is, wouldn't that have been, 
Wouldn't that have been better if mom and I would have just called a few of the leaders in the ward and said, hey, the scout trailer is a wreck. Maybe we can have the youth come help us, and we could have just gone home. Yeah. But, of course, we didn't want to put anyone else out, <laughs> and we didn't want to put that on anyone. And so what do we, we end up doing it ourselves, but then, once again, feeling resentful and angry about it instead of just doing it and enjoying it, you know. And so, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I like that you're using church examples, especially because I think that's the audience <laughs> we can relate who listens to. to this podcast. Right. Um, but I'm sure, right, if any of us think about friends, in-laws, any sort of situation, community situations, this is not just specifically related to matters within interactions in the church. Right. I love the simple definition, and, and I, I probably use this, at least two or three times a week in my own personal counseling practice. You mean this simple definition of a boundary? Sorry, yes, this definition of a boundary, that a boundary is what is okay and what is not okay. Mm. And that it's, that's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Right. But when we think, does this feel okay or does this feel not okay for us, then we can kind of honor those feelings that we're having. Right. I think, to expound on that more, um, Dr. Brown also shares that boundaries are the distance when we can love others and love ourselves at the same time. Mm. Again, I I love that because boundaries sometimes have that negative, mean tone. Yeah, right. When when really we're we're just talking about how can we show up for ourselves, how can we love ourselves, and how can we love other people at the same time. So I don't know. Have we have we harped on that enough? Does have we t- talked enough about the importance of boundaries? That it's not negative. That it's actually a term used to make sure we are showing up for ourselves and filling our resources and our cup, so that we can show up compassionately and generously towards others. Yeah, I think so. So a common practice that I do in counseling with some of my clients is. I have them grab a sheet of paper or a whiteboard in my office and I have them map out everything in their life that's currently bothering them right now. Mm. So even if it's a small annoyance up to maybe some big trauma that people are dealing with, I just have them write every single thing down on a paper. And then I have them draw a line connecting anything that feels connected. Mm. So what ends up happening is their whiteboard or their sheet of paper ends up looking like a huge spider web. Yeah. And then we're able to kind of narrow down, right, that there are themes with the annoyances and problems in their life. And I share this because commonly, typically, it's something surrounding boundaries. It's something that if my client was able to just say no to a mother-in-law or turn down an extra carpool when they're already taking another kid another place at the same time that so much (laughs) could be simplified right and i think i wanted to talk so much about how boundaries can make us compassionate and generous because i think we're afraid a lot of saying no to Mm -hmm. things And sometimes saying no doesn't have to be rude or mean. It can just be a fact. I can't do that right now. I love what you shared about Elder Oaks. 
dang it, I can't do that. For me, once I remember I used to make cakes for my friend's birthdays. I loved baking when I was in college and I would try and do that for the people I really loved. And it was, I don't know, anyone who's made a cake knows that that's a really long process. And once I had a friend ask if I could make a cake for her friend's birthday, (laughs) a friend who I didn't even know, right? And I was going to my own personal therapy at that time, like working on my own problems with boundaries. (laughs) And I remember vividly, I think that's like the first time in my life that I said no. And yeah. I felt so guilty about it. I, I truly just said, I'm, I have homework and I have all these tonight. I'm so sorry. I was worried that I would lose a friendship, right? My mind went to how rude I was being. And my friend replied back and was like, no worries. I just thought I'd ask. I'll go grab one from the store. Yeah, that was simple, right? so simple, right? I I thought that that was going to be a worse deal than it was. And that's such a small thing, right? Where it doesn't have to do with in-laws or friends or mm-hmm. family or community members. But for me, that was a cool lesson. That sometimes people respect you when you say no and that people respect your time and that having time for yourself, right? Or having boundaries actually could make people view you with more respect and not take advantage of you. That's so cool, Cass. You know, it reminds me of the first time I learned about boundaries was the other going the other <laughs> direction. I was the bad guy mm-hmm. in the story, but in Mesa, Arizona, we had a guy in our ward who was like a landscaper. So he had every tool you can imagine for a yard, and I needed to borrow a rake. Uh, ours had broken or whatever, and I and I just thought, you know what, I'll, I can just borrow his, no problem. And so I went over and asked him to borrow his rake, and he said no. <laughs> and I was so surprised. You know? yeah. I mean, that's just not the Mormon way, right? So to speak. <laughs> but he's like, nah, nah. And I go, oh, uh, okay. Anything, any, anything I need to know? And he goes, well, last year you borrowed my rake and and, and it you bent it. You know, oh you gosh. bent it. And so I'm just not comfortable letting you borrow my tools, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, talk about not knowing what to say other than, okay, I think I need to go buy you a new rake. I, I wish you would have told me that. Yeah. But that was kind of the point where we kind of decided in our marriage that, you know what, and I know this is getting off track a little bit, but let's just buy our own stuff. Let's, we, we probably don't need to be borrowing things from people anyway. Yeah. But, but I, I, I look back, though, and I, I admired that man for just saying no. You know, I... I, I mean, I wasn't even resentful. I really thought, you know what? He's right. If I let someone borrow something and they destroyed it, I, the next time they come, I probably would do the same yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. I don't think boundaries need to be personal digs towards someone, right? It could just, if someone asks to borrow your thing, for example, you could just say, oh, we tend to not let people borrow things because we like to take good care of our stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if someone took offense to that, I, I would say that that person maybe has more yeah. To deal with than you do. <laughs> right. We could do a whole podcast on borrowing. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think that I, I often tell this to my clients that if people, people who won't like or won't accept the boundaries that you set are people who benefit from you having no boundaries. Yeah. People, the only people who will be upset with you saying no are the people who uh, received some sort of benefit from you not yeah not having boundaries. in a sense you're kind of being used right so cassie let's let's talk just for a few minutes about some some examples you know some mm-hmm. examples of you know what i would call healthy boundaries in relationships especially in marriage and family relationships yeah yeah i was thinking of 
of some just earlier this morning that in marriage, a lot of boundaries don't have to look like saying no, right? It could look like we don't have phones in our bedroom. A boundary in marriage could look like we reserve Friday nights for us. It's not okay to make other plans on a Friday night because that's the night that we go on a date, right? That's a boundary. There could be boundaries surrounding budgeting that we don't make big purchases without talking to each other, right? Those are all boundaries. And and again, the reason that you do that is so you can show up in marriage with true intimacy and compassion and knowing each other. It's not just rules to make the other person mad. No, those are, those are well, two things. Number one, I love what you're saying, Cassie, because there's a tendency for a lot of us to think that a boundary only pertains to like an interpersonal relationship with someone else. But I think you're helping identify that a boundary is as simple as just a rule or a practice. Right? Yeah, what's okay and what's not okay. And then those practices and those rules protect us, right? You know, President Nelson was really big to talk about at a BYU devotional how when he was raising his children that they had family rules. And what the purpose of those rules were, were to protect their children and keep them physically and spiritually safe, you know? And so I think what you're saying is is right on. What about, what about in the parenting realm? What are you thinking? Yeah, I think there's a lot. Parent, first of all, boundaries between parents and children, separating those roles is a, is a really important, first of all, really important thing to make parents separate than kids and having... Meaning like, you're not going to sleep. I, I still can't believe how many people I hear that their children sleep in their bedroom. <laughs> and these are kids that are like 18. These Whoa. are like, like two-year-olds. Yeah. Right? And I'm, I'm, and here's the thing. If it's okay to those people, it's not. I don't have a problem with it if that's okay to them. But if it's creating an environment where they aren't able to connect and where their needs aren't being met as husband and wife then it's probably not okay, right? Right. Uh, I'm more, too, I'm I'm talking about not letting kids rule the roost, that there are boundaries between being a parent and being a child. But also, as you're saying, there are rules. Uh, I know when I was growing up, you paid for my cell phone bill. And when I got in trouble or when I disobeyed, you had my phone. And that was a boundary, right? And I think that kept you from... (laughs) not hating me (laughs) right like some of the rules that you have as parents is so that you can show up generously and compassionately compassionately for your children yeah no and and uh no i we we did that with all of our kids right that we they they knew very clearly that you don't own the phone we own the phone Mm -hmm. we're letting you use it and if you're if you choose you know to act in a certain way then you lose that privilege but I like what you're saying, Cassie, because it helps you to realize, yeah, general attending general conference together as a family, watching all the sessions together. That was about our, totally. our kids knew that you weren't going to have anything else, you know, going that day. Or like you said a minute ago, curfews, mm-hmm. you know, or expectations or, with clothing. Yeah. Or modesty. like I knew that if I stayed out past a certain time, I had to find a ride home. You and mom weren't going to come get me. Maybe people think that that's rude, but I think that was you and mom saying that's not okay with us, right? Like we have to go to bed. We have to, and it made me want to come home on time so I knew I could get a ride home. And right. obviously you would have came and got me, but do you know what I mean by that? But you knew that we were going to bed at a certain time and if you missed that, it was it was done. So I think that's great. That's really, really great. I even think of, you know, in the realm of grandparenting, you know, there, there certainly needs to be boundaries. And I was talking to someone recently where they let me know that their parents 
meaning grandparents of their children, would just come to their house and kind of barge in anytime they wanted to. And often it was at a time that it wasn't convenient or it wasn't okay or, or whatever. And and that family had to set a rule that at least a boundary with the grandparents is, hey, we love it, you, we love you when you come over. But what if you let us know beforehand that you were coming over? We would love that. That would just help us to be ready for you, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and, we, and then we can really enjoy it versus, well, we're actually leaving for a baseball game in five minutes or whatever. Anyway, and so there's just all kinds of these boundaries, these rules and practices that can be set, you know, that actually end up blessing and helping families and not hurting them. Yeah, I think there are two big points that we've touched on then. The first is that there's an element of prioritizing our spiritual and physical needs in order to have real boundaries, right? That, that these healthy boundaries, health, right? Yeah. Thank you. Healthy boundaries. And the second being that there needs to be, there can't be boundaries without communication. Mm. I think communication is the key, right? I think that's actually probably where a lot of people fail in this area is it's the resentful or it's the internal well I'm leaving to a baseball game and I don't have time for this right now or I just cleaned my house and the grandkids are coming over or Mm -hmm. right or whatever it is and I again I think we can work on communicating kindly what's okay and what's not okay yeah Cass I think that's so key what you said is communicating and and once again I've you've expanded my mind to think of boundaries as even being rules if we did a study and we interviewed parents and said, hey, do you have a few rules in your house? I think, you know, that there would be a large majority of parents who would say, oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. If we interviewed those same kids and said, do you have rules in your home? They would say, no, I don't even know what you're talking about or I don't know what <laughs> our rules are. And I think part of it is because what you just said, it's not communicated. Yeah. I think parents have it in their mind that that's a rule or that that's a boundary, but they've never really communicated it in a clear way. Yeah. You know? I'm working with a client right now who um, his, he's having some difficulties uh, with sexual intimacy with his wife like and not having it reciprocated. They're, they're going on quite a while without any sort of physical touch. And I've, helped, I've tried to help him kind of reframe right that more than just maybe desires or wants for that, that also it's, it's fair to say it's not okay to for me to be in a marriage like that right like a loveless marriage yeah right or a touchless marriage for him personally that doesn't feel okay Mm. so in the communication with his wife that that needs to be communicated right that Mm -hmm. that's a boundary he has I don't want to be in a marriage where we don't touch and play and laugh. And I, I respect that. And maybe there are people who would love a marriage like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But for him, right? And again, it's different for everyone, but for him, that's not okay. Yeah, I love that. Let me just add this to, I, I want this to be some sort of my life's work. And I'm at the very, <laughs> very beginning of this process. But right. when we hear the truth and it's, it's supported by data, I love that, right? When things feel right spiritually, but they're also supported by research. Right. And there's a lot of that. Yeah. Um, that compassionate people are boundaried people. Mm. I don't think that we can think of compassion without thinking of Jesus Christ. Right. Right. The ultimate source of compassion, the ultimate compassionate person. So if it is true that 
boundaries are not boundaries without compassion or may, or maybe compassion isn't compassion without boundaries. Mm. It's made me learn more about Christ and about Christ's life because if, if I believe you can't be compassionate without boundaries, I believe that Christ must have had boundaries in place. And that has led me into a study of boundaries being a Christ-like attribute. That if we want to be like Christ, we need to be how he was and and he had boundaries. You know, Cassie, one of my favorite examples of that is in Matthew 21. We just, you know, for those who think that all Jesus did is is carried a basket of flowers and, and skipped around and just hugged everyone, every time I read the entire four Gospels together, you also see, we, of course, we see the compassionate Christ, but we also see the Jesus that was the warrior. And I say W-A-R-R-I-O-R, right? <laughs> he did not mess around, you know, and... And, and so here we go, Matthew 21, 23. And when he was come to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then Jesus said this, The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say to us, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people, because all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. Or in other words, we cannot tell you. We're not telling you. And he said unto them, Then neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Don't you love that? Uh, Jesus says, Okay, let me ask you a question. And they say, okay. And then he asked the question anyway, and they're not going to tell him. He's like, okay, well, I'm not going to tell you. I just think that's awesome. I love that about Christ. I love, I love those stories of Christ, right, where we learn that he's assertive and that he met other people with energy that they were giving him. It's real. I, I feel like I can actually imagine the person of Christ. Right. Such a good example. I think also thinking of the temple, right? The classic example of, I can go to, to John 2, but of him showing up in the temple and stating a boundary, right? My father's house is not a house of merchandise. Right. It doesn't have to be that Christ lost his temper and beat his chest and <laughs> right. That but that mainly he was able to show up and set a boundary about what a temple is and what a temple isn't. I think in the effort we're making to show that boundaries can still allow us and hopefully are the source that allows us to show up compassionate. My very favorite scripture or story about Christ is when he visits the Nephites in third Nephi after his resurrection. Um, my, my absolute favorite chapter of the Book of Mormon is third Nephi 17, where he has compassion on the multitude and, and has them bring every single person who is afflicted in any way to him so that he could heal them. Mm. What we read in this scripture is that the multitude he was gonna leave right and and the multitude he sensed that they still wanted him there he could tell that him leaving would be hard for them right and and he stayed 
and he administered to them and he healed all of them. He healed their children. He taught them about the sacrament. I I love that example of boundaries too, right? That that he didn't he wasn't a hard nose. He was able to show up compassionately and generously for everyone there and and then when he felt it was okay after calling apostles and and meeting them all one by one, then he left and he came back later. And I I don't know, I love that story of Christ. I think there's lots of stories in the New Testament too, where Christ leaves his disciples and he leaves his apostles and we don't have record of what he was doing. But I believe that it was okay for him to do that and that maybe there was things that he had to do on his own where he didn't need to be surrounded by people all the time. What if we were more like that? Right. Oh, I love that. Cassie, this has been so awesome for me as a proud dad today to be with you and to uh, listen to you. And I'm already thinking, okay, when I die, Cassie's taking over this Preserving Families podcast. I've got got 80, 20 more years or so. Cassie, we love to tell people that one of the acronyms LDS can also stand for let's, let's do, do something. something, right? We love that. Did you guys make that up? Or no, you? I got it from Brent Barlow. Oh. Um, but uh, let's do something. And so if, if we were going to give an invite to our listeners today, what would you what would you say? Yeah, I, th- I think that a way we can figure out where boundaries could be implemented in our life or, or where setting a boundary could be helpful is thinking about... Things are people that that lead us to feeling resentful. Mm-hmm. That may be where we can figure out areas that we feel resentful in life could be a sign that there could be a boundary put in place that maybe helps us show up in a way that that's compassionate and generous. Sorry to use those words again, but rather than resentful. So identify an area where you feel this resentment and then that could lead you to maybe one boundary that you could set. And yeah. then and then like you say, you know, or as we've kind of discussed, but if that boundary is not communicated, it's really not a boundary, right? Yeah. It has to, it's going to have to be conveyed. Well, Cassie, thank and you. Can I just say oh, one more yes. thing? Sorry. Also that the boundary isn't there for you to cut people out of your life. I, I hope that I developed that thought enough, but a boundary that allows you to be actually generous towards someone in your life who may be making you feel resentful? What could you do to set up a system or a boundary so that you can show up generously for that person rather than just being resentful or cutting them off? Just to exercise that compassion and to have that ability, to have that fuel in your tank to to bless and heal and help. I love that. I love that. Well, Cassie, I was going to say thank you so much. You're here from Dallas, and uh, we wish we could tell everyone Cassie flew all the way from Dallas to, to Utah to do this podcast. So we've <laughs> actually been able to have her and her husband and our uh, baby granddaughter with us uh, over the holidays. But Cassie, thank you for taking the time. And we hope that maybe we can do this again. Okay. And for everyone out there, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode. And we hope you have a wonderful, awesome week. And we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, keep smiling. Be happy. 